Hey guys, this is Rachel on Recovery. We're back with the nutritionist on trauma, uh, Caroline Thompson, and she's going to tell the rest of her story. Thanks for listening. All right. Uh, have you noticed any patterns in how trauma affects processing food in patients with trauma? Yeah. What do you mean or by the processing, processing food? food? Yeah, like, like I guess literally, literally digesting digestive food. food. Like the effects of Yeah. So I think anytime we have a history of trauma that is stored in our body, it's stored in our nervous system. Um, There's a ton of new research coming out on this. Uh, There's a really great book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is literally the story of how trauma is stored in the body. And this can manifest in different conditions. It can manifest in stress-related conditions. So one of those being stress, anxiety, and problems with actually digesting food. And there's a lot of reasons for this. Um, Number one is that stress and anxiety, there's actually a nerve, the vagus nerve, that travels from the brain to the stomach. This is the nerve that creates like butterflies when you're nervous or um, upset. And So we know we have this nervous system that connects our brains to our digestion. And when we're stressed, when we're anxious, when we are, you know, on high alert, and typically if we have a history of trauma, our nervous systems are on high alert because we are maybe um, hypervigilant or, you know, particularly overwhelmed from that history. And that can prevent our body from digesting food as well as it should. So if we've got this nervous stimulation to the digestive tract, it doesn't actually digest our food as well as it could because it is constantly stimulated throughout the day rather than being naturally stimulated when food enters the stomach, goes through the process of digestion and gets to turn off. Um, digestion is something that really does need periods of being on and working and turning off and not digesting. And so if we're always kind of stimulating our nervous system and that then stimulates our digestive system, that can cause some issues that may manifest with people in terms of like stomach pain, um, a condition called IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, where we have trouble you know, just having regular bowel movements because our stomach is and our intestines are constantly stimulated. So, you know, again, lots of ways that it can manifest. I mean, definitely related that you posted about IBS and the FODMAP diet and, you know, getting rid of gluten and sugar and everything. Um, What's your thoughts on that? Like, I know you had mentioned that before. What's your 
Yeah. So I have IBS personally. So it's definitely a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And a lot of people actually have, um, a lot of people, I should say, with a history of disordered eating actually do have IBS. And one of the reasons that is causing that or behind that is that when you go through years or period of time where you're under eating and then suddenly you eat or you start eating more regularly, that unpredictability can cause a lot of bloating, a lot of GI issues, stomach pain. And so a lot of people with a history of disordered eating or eating disorders have some type of GI issue because of the level of restriction. Um, And there's also a lot of internal physiology that happens when we restrict foods. We actually do decrease our enzymes quite a bit. So we don't digest certain foods as well. So if you cut out gluten, if you cut out dairy, the first time you try to eat gluten or dairy again, it may not go well um, because your body has adapted to not eating those foods. And so there is definitely a... um, correlation to restricting your food and then how your body responds when you introduce it again. And um, sometimes that takes some time and, you know, trial and error to get your body kind of back on track. But, you know, when you talk about the FODMAP diet, which for people who may maybe aren't familiar, the FODMAP diet is FODMAPs are different types of fibers in our foods, mostly in plants. So in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, and seeds. And a lot of these foods are healthy, right? So they these fibers can cause some GI issues, even from healthy foods. And what tends to happen is you get a diagnosis of IBS and your doctor recommends a low FODMAP diet. But we don't always look behind the curtain and try to figure out why we're having these GI issues first before we then restrict more foods. So it's definitely um, complex. There's a lot of nuance. Some people, I've had clients who do really well with a low FODMAP diet. They have no type of restriction or disordered eating issue. And then I have other clients that their IBS is directly related to disordered eating, years and years of disordered eating. And, you know, a low FODMAP diet is probably not going to necessarily make that better. They just need okay. to eat more food. Um, well, and as you mentioned, the body keeps score with the autoimmune diseases on the rise with trauma victims. And uh, how does that relate to, how does that affect nutrition? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely interesting when we think about the body keeping the score autoimmune where your body is, you know, literally attacking itself for one reason or another. Um, that is what an autoimmune disease is. And, you know, there are so many different types of autoimmune diseases that it's hard to say exactly one nutrition protocol or one plan that's going to work. Um, but I think, the bigger picture is, you know, are you nourishing yourself? Are you eating regular meals? If you're dealing with something that's, you know, really draining, very tiring, 
dealing with autoimmune issues can be incredibly draining. I mean, it is um, sometimes hard to even get a diagnosis depending on what it is because it can be hard to identify it. Um, So I think the biggest thing is just, you know, how are you taking care of yourself through a diagnosis like that? And, you know, what are you doing day to day that will improve your health, mental health and physical health? And nutrition can be a huge part of that. But more restriction may not always be the answer. Um, You know, there's a autoimmune protocol diet, which some people find super helpful. and, And I would never discount that. I think there have been a lot of great reports of the autoimmune protocol, AIP. Um, But I think something, you know, even beyond that, I've talked to a lot of people with autoimmune disease and they will relay to me that the stress that they already feel and the like anxiety that they maybe even feel on a day-to-day basis wouldn't really be helped by following this super strict protocol indefinitely and making their life more stressful. And so I think, you know, with autoimmune disease specifically, we do need to kind of weigh those pros and cons of, you know, what's worth it for you? Is it worth it to take on more stress and more restriction at a time when your body's already under a lot of stress and not, you know, functioning optimally? Maybe more food could just be more food, more balanced options, more regular nutrition, all of those things. Maybe that could be enough for you um, until if and when you are ready to, you know, have something more structured. Okay. So that's my thought there. What do you feel would be the most helpful for trauma patients when it comes to nutrition? What do you feel? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is really learning to drop dieting, letting go of restriction, learning to listen to your body. If that's not something that you've ever done, that can sound like super woo-woo, right? To just trust your body, listen to your hunger cues, right? That can sound like foreign to a lot of people. I totally get that. Um, But again, you know, I go back to if, if the choices are starting another diet and feeling like a failure at the end of that diet and feeling like it didn't work for you, you know, a lot of people get to a kind of a rock bottom place with that and they just want to do something else. They're so tired of dieting that they're ready to let go of restriction. So, you know, if that's you listening to this, then I definitely would recommend embracing that mindset and um, starting with just trying to listen to your hunger, your fullness, um, without restriction. Um, tell us a little bit more about intuitive eating when working with trauma victims. Yeah. So intuitive eating is an approach that is weight neutral, meaning it's not a weight loss diet plan. And it's really just based on following your body's cues. So again, sounds very simple, simple, but it can be really hard to um, implement if you have a long history of dieting. Because a lot of times people will tell me, you know, I wouldn't even know the first place to start with listening to my hunger cues. 
Um, I, w I don't even know when I'm full. I haven't ever really thought about that. And so dieting also can change hunger and fullness. Years of dieting can actually change the way we experience hunger. And some people don't even feel hungry anymore if they've restricted for a long time. So um, it's definitely an approach that works really well for people who want to stop dieting, who want a better relationship with food and who want a better relationship with their body. Okay. Um, uh, tell us a little bit more about mindful eating when dealing with trauma victims. Sure. So mindful eating is similar to intuitive eating, except that it is not a weight neutral approach. So intuitive eating is, is weight neutral, meaning, you know, it's not a weight loss diet plan. Mindful eating can sometimes entail weight loss. So that's how they differ. Um, mindful eating is simply just being present while we are eating. So trying to remove distractions, trying to engage with our food in terms of how it looks, how it feels, how it smells, how it tastes, of course. Um, all of our senses, right? Engaging all of our senses in our food and trying to slow down and be present during eating in hopes that we can kind of connect to our hunger and fullness better and really learn how to connect with our food and how our food is affecting our bodies. So, in a nutshell, that is mindful eating is, you know, really just using those experiences around food to be more in tune with our bodies. But it's it's not necessarily about um, being weight neutral or anti weight loss the way that and intuitive eating what is. would you recommend for those who are wanting to try intuitive eating or mindful eating, like how to go about that? I mean, uh, is it? you know, tell us, mm. tell us, you know, the, you know, what are some options out there? Cause I mean, I think it's a good avenue, but I feel like it's not, yeah. you know, yes. you know, what are some books or some programs out there, Facebook, you know, that sort of things, resources out there that you have found helpful. Yes. So there actually is a book, Intuitive Eating is the ultimate intuitive eating book written by two dietitians who are incredible. Um, that would be a really great place to start just to dip your toe in and, you know, kind of familiarize yourself with the approach. Um, I also really love, we talked a little bit about, you know, overeating or feeling like you're kind of in this pattern of undereating and overeating. Um, there's a great book called overcoming overeating. So if that is something that you connect more with than maybe intuitive eating, that is also a great approach and can really help you understand why we overeat and what to do about it. So that's a great book. You also might consider, um, you know, of course I'm biased as a dietitian. I think, you know, everybody could probably use a dietitian at some point, but I think finding a dietitian that aligns with what you're looking for is really important. So if you are interested in intuitive eating, going to an intuitive eating counselor or an intuitive eating dietitian 
is going to be key. If you go to just any dietitian, they may not, you know, follow that approach. And so that could definitely throw you for a loop if that's something that you're looking for. Same thing with mindful eating. There are a lot of dietitians. I would definitely be in the mindful eating category. Um, I am not completely against people losing weight, but I tend to steer people towards a better relationship with food and being more mindful first and, you know, seeing where that takes us before we explore, you know, anything in the realm of weight loss. So um, certainly people with a history of, you know, serious disordered eating and eating disorders need intuitive eating. People with, you know, no history of those things probably would do well to focus on mindful eating and, you know, possibly intuitive eating as well. Um, is there anything else you would like to add or tell us, um, about being, working with mindful eating? What are some good, good advice for mindful eating? Yeah. So I think when I think of mindful eating, I think of being more present and less distracted. I think of um, maybe keeping a journal, like a food journal. I actually have many of my clients do that and they find it really helpful. And that doesn't have to be, you know, calorie counting, but a food journal could be literally just like writing it down, taking pictures, um, keeping a log and talking to a dietitian about it monitoring your hunger and fullness cues. Those are different things that we could do all tracking or journaling about when it comes to mindful eating. So that is a really great step because it's going to help you build awareness. It's going to help you understand how food is affecting you. Um, And it oftentimes helps us pick up on patterns day over day of how, you know, our days tend to go when it comes to food. There's something about writing it down that just kind of does that to our brain. So that's a really great starting place. And that's what I recommend with okay. and everyone. To for those of with. like with, you know, struggling with trauma and uh, seeing a counselor about eating in addition to their trauma, how, how do you guys coordinate and how do you guys work together on that as a nutritionist? Yeah. Most of my clients have a counselor or a therapist and I tend to coordinate with those folks a lot. So, you know, there's a lot of crossover, right, between what we're talking about in therapy and what we're talking about in nutrition sessions. And we try to coordinate that as best as we can between myself and the therapist. And, you know, we also, we spend a lot of time talking about how there are different emotions or feelings um, are affecting the food choices that they're making. So, you know, things that we may discover in therapy about ourselves, we can really use that in the nutrition session to better understand why we make the choices we make, um, you know, particularly around like stress eating and emotional eating, those being coping mechanisms and where we kind of learn to cope in that way, or if we want to learn to cope in a new way, those can all be really big parts of our process. Like, I guess, can you kind of tell us how that looks like for you on your end, coordinating with a a therapist, like with a, about a patient? 
Yeah. Well, in terms of like the logistics of how we coordinate, um, you know, every patient has to sign off that we're allowed to talk to each other. So the therapist and I both have permission to talk to each other. Um, and it just depends on the scenario. You know, sometimes we're talking once a month. Sometimes we're emailing back and forth. Sometimes we are um, only talking when something major comes up and, and we really need to intervene together and be on the same page. So, you know, it really just depends on the level of support that the client or the patient needs and, you know, between the therapist and I, how we decide. So, like, how would somebody go about setting that up? Like, with with a therapist and nutritionist that work together, are there, like, are there people that uh, regularly team up together or is it just a patient-by-patient basis or, you know, is there, like, programs or how does that work or what have you seen work? Yeah. So there are programs, you know, for specific eating disorders. Like for example, I'm involved in a binge eating disorder program nearby um, in Northern Virginia. And, you know, we have therapists and dietitians there that are connected. And so they're all on the same team. They work under one roof Um, But for somebody like me who, you know, I have an independent private practice, when I come, when a patient comes to me and says, you know, I'm, I would like to work with you. I need help with my relationship with food. One of my first questions is if they have a therapist and if they don't have one, then we're probably going to find them one as soon as we can. And then that process is just you know, me reaching out to the therapist or the therapist reaching out to me. And so I think on some level, the provider, the dietitian, the therapist has to have an interest in doing that, you know, going that extra step and talking to other providers. There, It's probably true that not everybody is willing to do that. Um, but I think it's really important that everybody is on the same page and that we do communicate on some level. So if you are the client or you are the patient, I would have them actually in their interview process of interviewing dietitians and therapists say like, are you willing to talk to my other providers as needed? You know, I need all of my healthcare members to be on the same team. So I would even kind of put that as one of your interview questions. Anything else you would like to add before we wrap up? No, I think we covered a great spectrum here. Um, if anybody wants to connect with me, I'm happy to answer any any follow-up questions. Okay. And yeah, I'm on Instagram at notyouraverage.dietitian. And then my website is carolinethomason.com. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, Caroline, thanks for coming on our show. And as always, we'll be back on air on Thursday at 10 a.m. And you can always follow us on our your favorite uh, social media platform or your favorite uh, podcast platform. And as always come to Rachel on recovery.com. Thanks for listening.